understand your principles, find your principles and let them live through you. It may be completely worlds away from the way that I do it or worlds away from the way that you do it. But if we operate from principles without dogma, we're going to have a better life. It's hard to not have a better life if you're living that way. My name is Johnny Elsasser, and I'm a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone evolution for men begins now this is a soul fire production all right guys we are bringing on connor moore with us today he is aggressively independent political commentator with a populist lean and a talent for calling bullshit i will say this emphatically because i love connor so much he's a good friend of mine but also one of the most realist dudes out there you know what you're going to get with connor and i love people like that who are genuine in this world on everything and they're objective. And that's probably one of the most powerful things I think that we as men can carry on in our lives because being objective means we look at ourselves objectively as well, not subjectively. And we take into consideration the points of views and other sides of everything, even to our internal conversations. It's something that I think if more men can harness we will be so much better for it collectively. And that is something that I think Connor uh, really epitomizes. And his stuff, his podcast is really awesome. And it can be controversial because of the fact that he doesn't play favorites. He just calls it like he, like he sees it. And he calls out the hypocrisy and he calls out the, the bullshit for lack of a better term, on both sides of the fence. And I like to believe that he does that in his life too. And I've watched him do that over the time that he and I have become friends. And it's really special to have somebody like that in your life and also somebody like that to inspire you to do the same. So I really enjoyed this episode. We get into a lot of stuff around hunting as well, because Connor's big in that and kind of what that can bring to your life, not just as somebody who can gain independence from the system, quote unquote, but also to empower you to know that you can succeed in a survival style atmosphere, knowing that you have the skills to hunt and prepare the meat and everything else. So there is a lot to that. Plus the fact that you can gain some euphoria by actually going out and hunting. Connor talks a little bit about that. He explores that. I loved how he kind of really opened that conversation up in this episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it and I'll see y'all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. We got my brother from another mother on here, Connor Moore. And Connor and I, uh, we have a lot of fun jamming out together. And this is not going to be any exception to the <laughs> path we've laid out for each other. So this is going to be super fun. I'm excited to have you on, brother. It's been a long time coming. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm just noticing that we're two uh, bros with American flags behind us and shirts that are um, <laughs> relatively aggressive. Mine says, not dead yet. And yours says, few will hunt. <laughs> yeah, few will hunt so, training. <laughs> so we're, just, we're just repping the brands of other, uh, of other dude bros out there doing their best. Um, but yeah, man, I'm in good. <laughs> Um, fully in fatherhood mode now. Um, it snowed on us today, which is a inconvenience in the springtime. Whoa, yeah, yeah it's uh, wow. it happens, but it got we got like four inches last night. So I was 
I woke up and I was like, damn it. Like the first snow is so great. And the last ones are just like, get the shit out of my life. Um, <laughs> I'm over I just, it. I just want to be outside. It's a lot of changes, a lot of, uh, a lot of growth really. Like, you know, I routinely after having, uh, after, after having a ba- our baby, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about, like, we'll just like, yeah, I was just, I'll just be listening to a, some sappy country song and just start crying in my truck. It happens at least once every three days. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my little cold heart has softened quite a bit. So it's been great, man. It's been a really, it's been a really beautiful year so far for us. Yeah. It's so cool, man, to watch you and Kelly morph into parents over this last, you know, what it's been a uh, few months, like what? Yeah. It's January Three, 4th. This when she was born. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So a few months morphing into parents, like officially being parents. Um, and then not only that, but then like watching you, it's you're one of the coolest guys in my opinion on the planet because the fact that like, you're not afraid to challenge yourself. And I think that's like so hard for men. Um, and I, and you're, you're very vocal about the struggle in that challenge in your life, as far as like when you've transitioned in the past and then also like what you're doing now as going into more evolution of who Connor is and what Connor's bringing to the world. And I just really appreciate that for you and I or about you. And then I love watching where you're going. So it's just like really cool to watch you go through all of this at once. And I noticed I say that as like the outside, and you're like, motherfucker, this is hard. Like this sucks sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it, do, but, it does, it does suck. But the things that suck about it, like this is, I had to really accept that about myself, like once upon a time, you know, I realized that, and that's even with the kind of the foundation of what I'm putting together now, like one of my principles is curiosity and it has been for so long. And it's why. Mm-hmm. I think I came from such a kind of a small town where things are what they are. And there's something beautiful about that. Like I talk a little bit of shit about like the small town life, but as the, as I've gotten older, I looked back because I resented it for a while. But when I go back, I'm like, yeah. man, there's something just so cool about how simple this is. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. for the right type of person, this is just awesome. You know, you get to, you can make, you have upward mobility in the like economic structure. You can, you can do your thing. If you work hard, like it's a place where you can really work hard and like buy a house and do it's getting less and less attainable, but it still kind of lingers there in these like small town Texas where I grew up and, you know, you know, everybody and there's something about that that's really cool. But for me, it didn't fit me, you know? So I had to, one of my big challenges early in life was like just leaving that, you know, just going to Texas state. Mm. That was the biggest thing was like moving to Texas state and then going to Austin, which was like the big city, yeah. you know, and figuring out how to like park in town. <laughs> Simple things you don't think about. Like I had to figure all this stuff out. And, um, but I loved it and I learned a lot about myself and I was able to like look at things differently and, and put myself in really interesting positions. And it's been something I've just continued to do since then. And somebody brought this up the other day. She's She was telling me that it's so funny how often I change what I'm doing, but I'm able to like develop a pretty high level proficiency at things pretty quickly. And I'm a pretty quick learner yeah. and I'm pretty, when I get obsessed about something like for now, right now it's golf. Three years ago it was bow hunting. You know, it's, <laughs> I just get into this stuff and I find a way to figure it out, but I just, I find that passion in things and it just, it gets in me. And that's something about myself that I've, that's why podcasting and coaching and things like that have worked so well, because I can relate to a lot of things. I've been through, I've had a very diverse set of experiences in my life. And that's one of my favorite things about myself. Me being, even from being like a fat kid, you know, who like got bullied to like being a six foot four, like strong jawed (laughs) motherfucker, like whatever the fuck I am now, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like, that's just a weird, you know, it's a weird deal. It's like I'm playing on house money here or, you know, uh, having parents that were, drug addicts and dealing with that to becoming like a psychedelic advocate. Like it's just a weird, <laughs> it's a, and you know, yeah. from being religious to then, you know, a Christian to 
whatever I am, just kind of like a, a, a having a kind of a respect for all views of, of, of what path we can take in life and what higher powers are. So there's like an openness to that, which I think is just, uh, if I take the, um, the big five aspect scale is something I use in my business and it's, um, it's really cool. Cause I'm like, I'm like a 10 out of 10 on openness to experience. Like, I just want to yeah. see, like, I'll try anything twice, you know? What are the big five aspects that you roll with? So my biggest ones I've realized it's really funny is what makes me kind of a, an interesting coach for people is, is openness to experience is one, which is a big thing that I try and help support in people. Cause I do think that can be really amazing. I think you can, if you broaden kind of your experience in life, you broaden your ability mm-hmm. to make decisions, to make choices. And you, you essentially create a reality where there's more things that you have the option to choose because you've experienced more things. Right. So you increase your level of free will, which is free will is kind of an interesting one to go down. But the biggest ones for me is like I rank yeah. high on high on empathy, high in openness to experience, and very low on agreeableness. <laughs> Those are the three that really stick out to me. <laughs> which will come as no surprise to anybody. It's like I will argue with anybody over yeah. anything just because, because why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know, but it's so funny because I I think like argue gets arguing gets too like negative of a connotation to it. I think that you're open to posing different opinions and different perspectives for a people to like view and people typically take it as an argument if they're so obstinate in their viewpoint that they don't want to have it questioned. But I think people take that as an intellectual conversation who actually are open to saying, Hey, yeah, there's different viewpoints. Would love to hear it. Love that you have that. And cool. That actually provokes thought for me as well. Right. Exactly. And I think this is, I mean, speaking about masculinity too, I think this is something that, that really helps in a lot of ways. And what I looked at doing is um, if someone, especially someone like you or Stefano Safandos, these guys that I know really well come at me with like an idea, right? I'm like, well, yeah. I'm going to try and sit here. I'm going to poke holes in it because that's a skill set that I have. I can like pick things apart and I don't do that to yeah. be a dick, right? Because I know you guys well yeah. enough to be like, I'm just doing that because I want you to see where those are because I want your idea to be stronger. Because I'm, sure, I'm, yeah. I'm only, I'm not, I don't want to see you. I'm rooting for you. Right. But I'm going to do yeah, it yeah. kind of as a dick because people are going to be dicks and need to be, because yeah. a lot of times I feel like one of my biggest criticisms of like the men's workspace is it's a lot of kind of unconditional support, which I think is important. But I also think you need that kind of pragmatic friction. And I think we grow a lot through that kind mm-hmm. of friction that's constructive. And one of the things I, yeah. I just kind of, I, work to do with people is we have, we have a lot of stress and distraction and friction that's unproductive, but just like working out or picking up a new skill, like that's chaos, right? That's, that's friction, yeah. but that's productive friction. That's a, that's a problem worth solving. But a lot of times in our lives, we're trying to solve problems that aren't worth solving, like arguing with somebody in the Instagram comments, which I'm very guilty of, right? Like I'm just, just creating unnecessary <laughs> friction for no fucking reason. It doesn't do anything for me. Right. I don't do that shit. I don't do that. I don't argue. I, I, I don't argue with idiots. I have a policy, man. And not only yeah. that, but I also don't argue with people that aren't speaking the same language in the sense of what I mean is like, if they don't understand the concept, you're not speaking the same language. So you're arguing for no reason. You know, 1000%. Like my my yeah. big thing. And, but sometimes I'll do it and it's really good. Like I'm like, oh, this person's like bringing sure. up some good opposition. But then sometimes you think it's going to sure. be that. And then it goes down a slippery slope of bullshit. <laughs> like, oh, yep. hey. I'm in the wrong place. My bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I mistook this for an intellectual conversation. I'm out. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Okay. You just tell, you're just doing what you're told to do. That's cool. All right. I get you. I'm moving on. Moving on I with my life. It. I love it. I love it. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um let's catch everybody up to Connor now, the um 80s looking WWF wrestler. 
uh, with the the new mullet right now. But let's talk about what brought you to this point. You've had a lot of trials and tribulations in your life. You kind of alluded to some of these through parents of addiction. You grew up fat. Um, you've you've had some of this resistant going resistance going up your life. So just like take everybody through a brief like what what pushed you into this point of being a man who is pretty. I mean. Yes, he's strong in his um, he's strong in his communication, but is very objective in his viewpoints, right? Like I, I that's what I that's how I see you. So, what brought you to that point, man? So, like I said, growing up in a small town, you do have kind of this limited perspective, and that's something that I will. I mean, psychedelics helped a lot with this because they do help you kind of zoom out and see kind of this like timeline of your reality objectively. Mm. Um, but growing up in a small town, doing the small town things, right? Whether that was the you know church, football, you know these all these things that meant the world to me. I remember I got a <laughs> I got a a barbed wire cross tattooed on my right shoulder, as many small town young men will do. Uh, when I was yeah. just turned eighteen, I'm like, well, I don't want to get something I regret, so I'll definitely never change my mind about this thing. This <laughs> 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 like, ah. give you an idea. <laughs> now no, that is, no regrets, bro. No yeah, regrets. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Not even one. Uh, I did get that covered up later on. But um, yeah, I mean, coming from that and then going into, I played f- f- football in college for a little while, like close to my hometown, ended up getting injured working oil and gas construction, which is something I'd been doing since I was, you know, I mean, I was, I was a gate opener at five, moved on to being like a pumper when I was 16, you know, like, and then working in the oil yeah. field, which is something I really, that's something I took a lot out of. I, I learned more there than in school. You know, because it's, it's like it's a it's yeah. a problem solving situation where you're out and you have a problem and that problem is costing you money and you've got a truck with tools in it and you got to fix that problem and sometimes you got to fix it in the weirdest way for temporarily you know and it's <laughs> like there's a like you've got a problem and you get the tools and this is what you got so figure it out and so there, yeah. I took a lot out of that but then going into college it kind of started to challenge my beliefs and even pre psychedelics and things like that I remember the first time I had this kind of realization that I'd been maybe misled or lied to um, was when I started smoking weed, to be honest with you, which I can't say I've had the mm. best relationship with over the past, you know, 20 years, but or not quite that long, 15 years. Um, but I remember I was, like the third or fourth time I'd gotten high, I was like, wow, I just got lied to about this. Like I have no desire to start doing crack now. Like I'm not like, oh yeah, I need to get, <laughs> it's not a gateway <laughs> drug. But it, oh, I want to open up and do crack and heroin. <laughs> Sweet. Let's go. Um, and I started the challenge. I was like, man, this is weird, you know? And and I had kind of left the church by that point, but not really like really done it. You know, I went, to, I went after I got injured um, in working in the oil field, I couldn't play football anymore. So I went to this small talk school called uh, Tarleton in Stephenville, Texas. And just was still involved in like the youth, the college youth group there. But then I went to Texas state and that's when, you know, I tried weed for the first time. I was 20 years old and just got a different experience. It got outside of my bubble for the first time and just loved it. You know, and it wasn't like, I wasn't a big drink, a drink, you know, probably less than the average college guy. Like a lot of guys were fucked up all the time. That wasn't really my thing. I worked out a lot. I got a really, a passion for fitness, um, was getting kind of fascinated with CrossFit because CrossFit had gone from like people who move like shit. Like I called it like a soccer player workout. It was like the yeah. Chris Spieler. It was just the people moved like ass at the beginning of CrossFit. Yeah. Like it was, I, was watching, I looked at that as like somebody who was into like getting a degree in health and fitness management. Like this is bad. Uh, but then yeah. it started getting like better that now it's incredible. But um, people look at it now and it was like that. So I just started challenging my ideas a lot and moved into the CrossFit space. And then I got to, to the point where I was working with people. But I realized by the time I was like 21, 22, that the sets and reps piece of fitness was super fucking easy. 
It was so simple, dude. I mean, I could get somebody fitter with a stick and a rock is what I always say. Like, I can give you a hard workout with a stick and a rock, but it's like, do you want to do it? And why do you want to sure. do it? And why are you here? So I stumbled in like back assward into personal development at 22 years old, um, which doesn't happen wow. very often for young men. You know, I got into like, I got wow. into it. I was at a Tony Robbins event at like 23, 22. Uh, wow. I was, so I was just into this kind of stuff. I was reading like, and it's pretty the cliche stuff like Tony Robbins, Simon Sinek, you know, like Tim Ferriss, you know, it's like I started the cla- there. The classics. Yeah. I and mean, where a lot of people start, you know, and then you kind of branch off from yeah. there. Um, I started really openly challenging my previous belief systems. You know, I started challenging Christianity and looking at different belief systems. And so with that, every, every time I did that, I saw some kind of tangible benefit. I would let a part of myself go and then I'd see some change. And I started mm-hmm. being happier and funnier and just a better person to be around. I was also still kind of an arrogant, pompous mid-20s dude, for sure. Uh, and I made some huge <laughs> mistakes. Um, I opened a gym. I never should have opened. It failed, of course. Lost money. You know, like things like that. Um, but as I continued to go on and, and, and just put myself in situations where I could get lucky, you know, I think you, luck, luck is a thing. And knowing my skill set of being like relatively charismatic, extroverted, um, I put myself in situations where I could get opportunities. And then having, it was just kind of funny because I accumulated this experience, but I had no idea what I was going to do with it. And then I started working for this company called Onnit. I worked with this group uh, called Go For Your Win, uh, which was my mm-hmm. boss's like organization. And Really started for the first time after fitness because in fitness, I would coach people. I realized that coaching them on fitness was easy, but the lifestyle stuff was more important, right? It's like, yeah, you can, we can give you the workouts and that, but it's like, that doesn't change your home life. That doesn't change why you're here. That doesn't change no. the emotional reason why you're holding on to extra weight, right? Like I said, the fitness shit is easy, but the people, so I started focusing on the, on the person. And I used to say that I'm like, when, I, when people come into my class, I'd be like the workout on the, the workout on the whiteboard is a guideline, right? It's loose. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you don't have to adhere to this. You may never do a handstand push up in your whole life, and that doesn't make you less of a person. But what are you taking out of this? And my job is to set you up to where you're taking the most out of this and out of this hour of your day that you possibly can into the rest of your life, whether that's fitness, whether that's mindset, whatever it is. And so when I got into on it and was actually communicating with people on a high, like groups, you know, three, 400 people, it started to, things started to click, right? And then after I mm. was fired from that job, um, for the weird, <laughs> for the dumbest fucking reasons of all time. Um, uh, we can get into that if you want. I'm pretty open about that now. Um, uh, I had, I was it, it was your hair. Was it your hair? It had to be your hair. It was, <laughs> that was, that was, may have been part of it. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, um, people started asking me for coaching, you know, and I was like, I don't mm. know. I didn't like ever go to like life coach school. I didn't really think about that, but I'd been a coach, you know, forever. So I started trying it out and I charged like 500 bucks for six weeks and sold that out. And I was like, okay, well, this is a thing. And I didn't really like feel like I ever chose it, but it just kind of happened. So I continued doing that and continued getting here. And, and then from that, you know, continued doing that, met Kelly. And then when uh, so much of my work that I did with people, individuals and groups relied on them taking that out into the world, which was kind of my thing. Like, we'll do something here, but you take it out into the world. And then you communicate differently and see how you're showing up and try to observe yourself showing up in the world. Whenever the world shut down, right, that mm. ceased to exist. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I can't really do much with somebody who's working from fucking home. I don't know what to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. So my business yeah. just overnight, dead, done. Yeah. I had a few clients left and it was, once they were done, I was like, I don't even feel an integrity doing this because I don't know how to do it when people can't leave their house. And I, right. as a person is like, 
my mental health went to shit because I need to be outside. I thrive on connection. I got to meet people. I got to be out doing something or else I'm going to lose my shit. My and Kelly's relationship went to shit. I mean, we made it through. I think a lot of relationships struggled through that time. But then I transitioned into politically homeless because I felt like as a Bernie Sanders supporter and, you know, people probably could, somebody's like steaming right now that I even said that, but like someone just turned off this episode right now. Sorry, buddy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Remember openness to experience, but I had my reasons. I, I, you know, getting a degree in health and fitness, I had seen just the corruption in the FDA. Like I had seen the corruption of the pharma companies, like the same things that a lot of conservatives are on board with now. That was kind of my impetus there of like, let's get in there and like, let's not start some wars. Let's reevaluate the way we do things. I understand that like, I didn't agree with all of his policies, but I knew yeah. that like I run people's policies as a candidate, as a presidential candidate through the lens of reality and what could actually happen. So I thought you get Bernie Sanders in there, you probably get a public option. You'll probably get some kind of reform on pharmaceutical profiting, which I think is great because the incentives are perverse as fuck. Um, and we probably won't start any wars, which I was like, cool. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, all, you, that's, that's, all, that's all I need. Right. Uh, yeah. But then he got hosed by Hillary Clinton, then got hosed again. Yeah, that was the, bad. That, that the, the level of corruption with the DNC, and I was just so pissed. Oh, dude, that was that wild. Was, I was so pissed. Watch that, and and yeah. from somebody who who who's never been a supporter of, of of any candidate on that side of the the fence, I still sat down and watched that and was like, "This is atrocious, dude." Like, we should have had they, Donald they Trump versus Bernie Sanders. They torpedoed Bernie. Yeah. Um, to put Hillary up there. It was wild. It was, and she was the worst candidate and the most unlikable cunt that's ever existed. I have no qualms saying that. Like it's, yeah. and then they blamed it on sexism and whatever. I was like, this is, this is a joke. You know, it's a joke. And um, so then that happened again with the Biden administration. I was like, I'm just, I've been engaged in this quietly for a long time. I'm just gonna start talking about it. So then Politically yeah. Homeless was born. I've done that for three years now. And I think it was really good, you know, being able to, because I could I had been keen to this stuff before it was cool, right? Like I knew mm-hmm. about FDA regulatory capture. I was writing papers on that in college. <laughs> like I, I was yeah. around for that. I was like, this is, you know, I was speaking out against even, you know, BLM thing went a little far, but like police brutality. My dad had been uh, assaulted by police. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Like we could talk about that a little bit too, if you want, but like this, all these things that give me this kind of accumulation of experience that I took into politically homeless and it was going so well. And then yeah. content suppression, content suppression, content suppression, deplatform. I'm like, okay, this is, and I'm like, we talked about this before we started recording, but like you get shut down, you know? And so I've got to reevaluate things again. And I'm in that place now of like, all right, we're relaunching the show as something else. We're going a different direction. And that's kind of been this like process of self-discovery, let things go, figure something out. Like, and um, I think it's the, it's the book of five rings where he talks about through one thing, learn 10,000 things. Like if you build yeah, that, yeah. Pr- that pattern and process of, of, Letting go of something, which I've been doing my whole life. Let go of something, figure something else out. Let go of something, figure something else out. That's what I teach people how to do. That's how I work. That's how I thrive. It's just been what's it's the pattern in my life that I actually really enjoy, even though it frustrates the shit out of me sometimes, especially when things are outside of my control. But it's got me here, you know? I think I answered your question. Yeah. Maybe not. No, you did beautifully. There's so many things I want to dive into, but this podcast will probably turn into like a 10 hour podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll do so it. I'm one. like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, let me pick some things that are going to be really good here. Um, and one of the things that I, I really loved about this is that you know, politically homeless. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But you're transitioning from from that platform to to this kind of evolution of Connor going back to Connor Wanders and things like that. And we'll talk about that. But with politically homeless, one of the things I really valued ever since you and I became friends was that like you made you challenged me to even think about certain stuff. And I don't even say I don't even like to say like I'm a conservative. I say um, I do love a saying I'll steal from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He says 
don't label me as anything. Give me a scenario and I'll give you my opinion about it, right? Wherever that lands politically, I don't give a fuck. I'm just mm-hmm. giving you an opinion of how I think that could be best addressed, right? So when I see politically homeless, though, you put out some things, a lot of things that even challenged me. And I was like, oh shit, like Connor's like, even I'm like this motherfucker, like he's, he's got, but it was beautifully objective in, in the way that you presented stuff. Cause that nobody was safe. You were like the South park of politics. Right? <laughs> nobody was fucking safe. <laughs> so I never thought about that way, but Trey Parker and Matt Stone are, are heroes, man. So that makes, yeah. I, I, that's the warms my heart. Yeah, dude, you're like the South Park of politics. It's very similar. You and I, you and I talked about this a little while ago too, is to, to Russell Brand, right? Like Russell Brand came from a same kind of that same mentality of leaning way more left, um, and then came now where he's just very objective. And, and some people may believe it looks conservative, but that's just because of what's going on right now in politics, um, in the uh, optics of everything. But when we look at how objective you were, and how objective you are, how much like with how many men get wrapped around the axle with politics and stances in politics, what can like, what is it that we can talk about here for men to really open up and start to look at everything objectively, kind of like you did with politics with politically homeless? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I tried to communicate was you've got to look at the why, right? Like I always said this, uh, this is like kind of a fun silly thing that would just tr- kind of trigger people into thinking it because you could put people on their heels and that's really kind of as long as you didn't make them feel like think about what the Democrats and Republicans do now is like the Democrats are evil. The Republicans are evil. Like that's meant to create defensiveness. Right. And if you're defensive sure. about your political stance, you are, you're already fucked. Right. So yeah. if you look at, I always say socialists and libertarians are more alike than they would ever want to admit. And they're like, what? that's crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, really? They actually agree on what the problems are. They have way different solutions to those problems, but they have a problem sure. with endless wars, the drug war, right? Um, mm-hmm. What else? Like th- those two things are just huge in themselves. Massive, uh, pe- yeah. People not having a say so in their own reality, right? Whatever that means, whether that means like civil liberties Health- or healthcare. Healthcare, the healthcare right, corru- too. Yeah, yeah, healthcare corruption is, is a big part of it. Now, the, there's solutions to those, right? I right. would say, well, you know. Libertarians will say like you need to just be able to try whatever you want, and there needs to be no regulations on anything. And then you know it's a hardcore libertarian stance. I don't know how many people actually believe that to the nth degree, and I don't know how many people that are on that like democratic socialist spectrum that would be like, oh, we need like complete centralized control of things. That innovation doesn't matter, right? But on either extreme, and when I say socialist, I mean like what is considered socialism now, not like Marxist socialism, like more of a social democrat or democratic socialist type of Bernie Sandersy type situation. So you have these like common threads. So on the Venn diagram of what the problems are, I'm like, oh, okay. So now we can have a productive dialogue because we agree on what the problems are. And you can bring up your points about why that's a problem. And they can bring up their points about what that, and they, probably through that, you would find some kind of like common ground that actually makes some sense, right? Mm-hmm. What doesn't make sense is neoliberals, Hillary Clinton, right? And neoconservatives, uh, um, Ted Cruz. Right? Yeah. <laughs> their shit is, centralized authority. We know what's best for you, you know, and looking at it that way. And I think through that, the rhetoric is on the left, which gender doesn't exist. I don't know, whatever, some kind of crazy shit that they're saying. And the other one is like, <laughs> you should be forced into Christianity, right? It's like some shit that's like yeah. anti-freedom on both sides. And so when you get caught up in that and you can't zoom out, 
And I, I empathize with people because they've been attacked, right? On either side, mm-hmm. they've been attacked. Yeah. Right. Like I can see the, the, the weird lefty push for like the non-gender, whatever the fuck, right? This craziness as a response to the hyper-conservative reality that we lived through in the 90s that a lot of us remember, right? Where Harry Potter was Satanism mm-hmm. and who's taking Christ. And then mm-hmm. people are mad about Starbucks, Starbucks cups. You know what I'm saying? Like that's idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's a pushback against that. And those people have, and, the, and gay people have a valid point of like, they were treated very fucking poorly for a long time. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, there's validity in that. And you got to look at people and be like, a big part of it is just steel manning the other side. I like to say, if you can't make a valid argument, like I could sit here and argue with you for pro-life and pro-choice. And you, at the end mm-hmm. of that argument, you would not know what I believe. Right? Yeah. I can steel man both sides. <laughs> and I can tell you what I believe, right? Yeah, Which yeah. is, oddly enough, kind of right in the fucking middle. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's like, if you, can't, if you can't make a case, if you're on the right and you can't make a case for Bernie Sanders, then you're not being intellectually honest with yourself. And you need to figure out a way to do that. And if you're on the left, you're a Bernie Sanders guy. And you can't make a case for conservatives, right? Like real conservatives, even like MAGA supporters. Let's just go that far. You can't make mm-hmm. a valid case that actually sounds legitimate for them. You're fucked, right? Yeah. And so for people like me and you, we could have a productive dialogue, right? Especially around like gun regulation and the second amendment. Like we both know that we're both two A guys, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, which is sure. really people say, I'm, on, I'm, mar- I'm marginally on the left. But like, when it comes to that kind of stuff, like I just bought my first suppressor and I think it's absurd that I have to wait eight months to get it and pay 200 extra dollars for it. That's the dumbest thing ever yeah. because I want to protect my hero. I'm going on, tw- I'm going on 12, mo- I'm going on 12 months right now. For mine. Oh, is it really? One on the way, dude. Yeah. It's I, mean, I might as well just buy two at one time and just wait. I don't even know. I would, I I would dude. Just, yeah. I just so got another one yeah. on the way too. And that's going to, I don't even know how long it's going to take. Anyway, side, sidebar. There. Yeah. Sidebar. <laughs> absurd. But um, yeah, we're both two A guys. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, but you can look at that, like, oh, it's overlap. And then we can have conversations about healthcare or whatever. But if you can't make a case for the other side, then you've already lost because then you're just talking at each other, right? You can sit here and watch, do yourself a favor and go watch Kyle Kalinske and Charlie Kirk debate at Politico, yeah. right? It was a handful yeah. of years ago. They're just talking at each other. No one changed anybody's mind. And they both had valid, well, Kyle had more valid points because he's smarter than Charlie Kirk, but like, you can see where they're coming from. You know, and so for me, I, I can say, okay, I can make a case, a solid case for this side. I can make a solid case for the other side, and then I can make my own decision. But if I can't make a case for both sides, I'm actually not making a decision. I'm just being told what to think. Oh, very interesting. I love that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's really dope. And then, so like, you know, especially in today's world, like everything that we're seeing and everything that's getting a hard push, especially in social media and media in general is to create to further create this gap with divisiveness in us and i think uh you know obviously nobody's a victim like we're all making the choice to allow that to penetrate our psyches and yeah. penetrate our conversations and penetrate our lives how do we start to shift people to be like look motherfucker if we can just literally come together the only people that lose are the politicians how do we do that? Shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that's I try, what you've been I, trying to do. Yeah. But that's I, I figured it would be a great question for I you. I got throat punched for it over and over again. I mean, I don't think that people are that interested in that, to be honest with you. That's the sad thing. I don't think people are that interested really? in that reality. I just don't. I think that wow. there is a lot of social currency in owning the libs or whatever. You know, I mean, you see that now. And there's, I believe that humans operate from, from incentives. And in this real, current reality, this is why I've checked out more and more and why I love just kind of being away from it all and just kind of living my own life is 
I want to, ins- I want to construct my own incentives, right? Like I'm incentivized. That's why I live through principles. That's why I like, I've really focused on that because I found myself getting lost in it and it was fucking me up, dude. It was like really messing with my head. And I think the best thing you can do is like, look at productive incentives in your own life and construct them for you. That's why I shifted away from talking about politics more generally. And I will still talk about things that are, that matter, but I found myself talking about shit that didn't matter, right? In a week, it's gone, mm. done, right? And so we're yeah. in, this, in this cycle of this like, but you get in that anxiety, resentment, a defensive cycle, and you don't even realize what you're doing it for. You know what I mean? And you can't step out of that. You can't snap out of it because now you feel like you're fighting for something. But what you're fighting for doesn't really make any sense. doesn't really exist. You're not really doing anything. You're just being distracted by frustration and anger. And it's not actually adding to your quality of life. So what I've, see, what I've shifted now is like, when I realized that, I'm like, I've got to do something different. That's why I'm like, I can, with a, if somebody comes to me and says, I need to restructure the incentives of my own life, I know I can, I can be productive there, right? Like I can do that. If I do that with one person, that's way better than just pissing into the wind. Like I was talking about earlier and just like, okay, I'm just going to talk about whatever the, th- the, the current thing is and be frustrated about it. For what? It, maybe I do make a ton of sense, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. So it's like, like, you can only do so much with that versus like, you need to focus on yourself first, structure the incentives of your life based on your principles, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and start there. And for people like you and I who seek to have a platform, I think it's just by example. You know what I mean? I mean, we've, we talked about mm-hmm. this when you were visiting um, the other day down here, which was really nice, by the way, is like within the, yeah. within the, the men's workspace, you have a lot of like, it's either super softy David data stuff or this kind of yeah. antiquated, you know, version of masculinity. And it doesn't really ever, it's very little of it has nuance, right? Right. And, very, and a lot oh, of yeah. it's being telling people what to do, not how to align their lives in a way that really makes sense for them. You know, and then you get into like, well, it's like, but then you have like, we have objective and subjective realities. And I'm like, obviously, you know, it's like, it's, it gets, it gets, you can, get, you can talk yourself in circles if you want, but like at the end of the day, living in a life that's authentic to you is important. And if you're constantly right. on the defense and you're constantly frustrated or, or you're living in that energy, it just doesn't really, it's hard to, to construct a life that makes sense for you. You know, so I think the mm-hmm. best thing we can do, and this is what I've gotten to is like example. You know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to live through my principles. I'm going to put it out there. And that's all I, at the end of the day, I'm like, that's the, that's literally the best I can do. So if I can do that, then I'm cool. You know, then I know I'm doing the best I can do. And did this shift really come in with Roe coming into the world or did it really start to enter in when you started to notice how like toxic psychologically things were getting for you with the political stuff? Both. I think, I think it was one of the, it was, they were, they were hand in hand, really. It was just like, it was one, I was like, I'm in this state of being, I will not be the best dad I can be, which is more important to me. Like I'm before, first and foremost, I'm a dad, right? I always knew that was going to be the case. Like now it's like, and I've always wanted to kind of create my life where I could coach little league and sports and stuff. Like that's just, I love that stuff, you know? So looking at that, I'm like, why would I want to walk around frustrated over bill C123, you know, or whatever. For what? (laughs) You know, it's like, but I have this little human in here that lights up my life every day, even when she's screaming at me and making me crazy. Um, (laughs) Because she she wants to sleep. So she's tired. So she screams because she wants to sleep, but she doesn't just go to sleep, which is odd. But whatever, she's figuring it out. Um, (laughs) But you know, it's like, 
yeah, it was, it was, it was just a combination of the both. Like it just, it tripped me out because it was a, it was a pretty profound shift, you know? And then I got to like sit down at a whiteboard and be like, huh. And I was just be working out, like writing stuff down. Like, what does that mean to me? Like, where does that matter? Like, what am I, what am I really doing? You know? And when something happens, like the Uvalde shooting, for example, was a big thing that's kind of happened. And it was like 1000% going to talk about that when something that, ma- and when something matters enough, I'll talk about it. But I have that filter now where it's like, I don't need to do the next thing. Oh, something happened in Ukraine. Okay. What am I going to do about it? You know, I'm not going over there. I'm not going to go convince Putin to do something or Zelensky to do something different. I'm not, I'm not working. I'm not going to drop a piece of cord. So, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, as long as we don't get nuked, hey, it's like, all right. I, I, dra- I, I drafted this, sir. Could you please look <laughs> this over inside? <laughs> I don't know if you, uh, do you watch Rick and Morty by any chance? Oh, I love Rick and Morty. Or he, it's so uh, good. He, he creates peace between Israel and Palestine by taking him to space and doing like space psychedelics. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I could do that, if I was Rick, I would do that. But I can't take Zelensky and Putin to a space cantina and do psychedelics with them. So it's like, okay. Space cantina. Oh, <laughs> so good. No, man, that it's it's really good because um, in it, for me, it's like it, you you had a mission. You had a purpose with politically homeless, you were trying to be that bridge to objectivity. So hopefully people would see some form of connection of stopping this whole gap between like what makes us divided and really focus on, oh yeah, there are two sides to the story. Both sides can be defended very well. Let me objectively look at those. Like you created a, you create a bridge for this, right? Mm-hmm. All in all, you were trying to, and it frustrated the fuck out of you. You started to get very negative with yourself. It started to create issues in your relationship, just in your life in general. And then you, you have now grown into this new evolution of where you're going and how you're, you're looking at your life right now, especially because Ro showed up. But how did that also challenge you as a man? Like, or did it challenge you as a man when you're like, oh shit, like this is what I've kind of built the last three plus years on. And now I'm like really in a point of, of changing. Did that challenge you as in, in yeah. that version of masculinity that you had? Yeah. I mean, but also at the same time, I just felt like I was being a whiny little bitch. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was <laughs> like, I'm just whining about shit. Cause as the thing is like, why would I like, is it really am I really living in any kind of masculinity when I'm just crying about shit? I'm not going to change, you know, is that really it? Or can I focus on like, and that's one thing about that. I like about the masculine kind of experience. Like I enjoy very tangible things. Like I brought up the oil and gas business before. Right. I, and I still will do this. And this is something that will come up on the show. I staunchly defend blue collar Americans. It's blue collar work. Yeah. We talked about that. It's like, cause that's the thing about, and there's something beautiful about that. Like I loved you go to a place, you got a job to do. You start the job, you finish the job. Might take a day, might take an hour, might take a week. You know, maybe you're drilling a hole in there. I never worked on a drilling rig. We had drilling rigs on our, we would, we drilled wells, but I didn't work on the drilling rigs. But I would kind of be a hand on pulling, pulling rigs, which are downhole maintenance rigs. So they like pull out the innards of the oil well if something's going wrong and you fix it, right? So, I would, but I see these guys, it's like they show up to a rig or well, they pull it. They fix it. They put it together. They go to the next one. It's like, but you get, it's almost like a dopamine hit. You know, we used to do something called a breaking out flow line, right? So you'd have like a pipe that carries oil and salt water, which people don't know this, but a lot of, especially in those shallower Texas wells, like 90% of what you pull out of the ground is salt water. So you you only get like, yeah, like 10 to 15% cut, sometimes less than that, but you're pulling out thousands and thousands of barrels of water. And then about 10% of that's crude oil. And then you have gas that comes out to a different, to a different pipe. So whenever you, plug a well. So the well's dry, plug a well, you have all that pipe laying out. 
And our job in high school, we get paid, you know, 30 cents a foot to go break out flow lines. So you would go take a truck and drive the flow line in one joint at a time to, to, to put on the trailer, break it out, put it on the trailer, break it out, put it on the trailer. So you would just, and it was wow. like, it was satisfying, you know, and we were 16, yeah. 17 years old. So we'd work, you know, 60 hour weeks, getting paid time and a half at $10 an hour. It was like, we're doing all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, but you, there was something about that where it's like, it's satisfying, you know? And now I kind of take that same energy to working with people. It's like, we're going to come in here. We're going to have a conversation. We go, boom, boom, boom. We're going to do something. And you're going to have a tangible change. Like there's tangible change in it versus screaming into the ether because Nancy Pelosi did some stupid shit. Nancy Pelosi did some stupid yeah. shit. You know, it's like, and so I think that actually I'd gotten away from that. Right. And I would find it in other things like elk hunting or just hunting in general or yeah. golf or something like that, where I realized that I was like, I've got to do, I've started to do things in my life where I, it's me versus me. Like golf is very much me versus me. You know, I will be competitive with other people, but like me and that fucking ball will have a day. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's, it's, and sometimes it's the best day ever. And sometimes it's the worst day ever, you know? Um, but I need, I was like, I'm, I'm gravitating to things that I feel like I can control because in my business and in my life, I feel like it's just grasping at, you know, loose ends all the time. Like I'm just, I'm just, it's a needle in a haystack or whatever metaphor you want to use. It's just, I wasn't in that anymore. You know what I mean? And I wanted, I want, mm. I want that to be part of my business. I want to have tangible effects. Right. Yeah. And when the audience was stopped growing because content suppression gets so bad and my income is dependent on my audience and things that just stalled out in a place I wasn't satisfied with. It's like, well, there's at the end of the day, I think that I could sit here and be like, I'm going to fight big tech, but it's why am I? No. Yeah. So it's like, no. I'm not, and again, I'm not going to go like, take Mark Zuckerberg to a space canteen and do space psychedelics with him. Like it's not going to happen. So it's like, <laughs> no. You know, it's, it was one of those things where I'm like, I need to get back into myself. I need to do what I have, have a talent for and do things that I can see, see the changes happen in real time. And that makes that, that makes me more excited. It challenges me versus if I'm sitting here just bitching about stuff, I'm not challenged because I'm going to get, I'm going to get validation from the people who always validate me. And that's yeah. it. And what does that mean? At the end of the day, it means nothing. It's, it's, it, Instagram gets deleted. That goes away. Right? Whereas by yeah. the people that I've worked with in the past, those people still reach out to me like, man, you know, like, because my focus was always like, let's, I'm not trying to be a transformative coach. I always thought that term was kind of silly. I'm like, I want to make a 2% shift in your life. And then in five years, you go, damn, I'm like a different person than I used to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. I just turned, like, it's like turning a ship, right? You just turn it a little bit. And then a few miles down the road, you're, miles away from where you would have been, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, a, that's really what, if you're going in that direction, that's really what's important because massive overhauls in life are not going to happen like that, you know? Like, you, yeah, it, it really is those small percentage of shifts and then consistency in that small percentage. Exactly. That's really good. Going on that censorship stuff. So this is another thing you and I talked about and I, and I it's happened to me too, um, getting shadow banned on IG and shit like that. <clears throat> And how how was that, especially because the fact that like, I, I know how it felt for me, right? Being guys who are very much embodied in who they are, very much authentic in who they are as men. Um, we talked a little bit about this, but I want to explore this with you is how did it feel to kind of like violate your own principles to have to self-censor because the fact that you're like, well, I'm still running a fucking business too. And right now yeah. I can't even run a business. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's <sighs> it's conflicting as fuck, you know, because I'm like, well, I'm not a victim, but then I kind no. of am, 
You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like, I, I don't, I don't like that energy in my life of like, this is outside of my control. You know, that's why I said I gravitated to things mm-hmm. where it's like my success is dependent upon me, you know, because I felt like that it was all out of my hands and I, I fucking hate that feeling, dude. And then even now it's dude, like, we're talking yeah. about self-censoring. Like I don't share stuff that I would share. I don't like, I unfollowed a bunch of people just cause I'm like, I can't, I don't even want the, I'm trying to like play by the rules because man, I've got, I've got a kid, you know, I've yeah. got to make some money. I've got, you know, and it's like, yeah. You know, I'm trying to, we're, you know, with Soulfire, my wife's business, like I've been taking a paycheck from that, even though I've moved away from that because I became redundant, which is great. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would rather that money go to the people that are working there. Like I was the founder of the business yeah. and I did a, I did a lot, but it's like now that I'm moving on from that. And I want those people that work their asses off for that company who do a great job. You know, I want to be there for them. So I need to, you know, I've got to, I've got to buckle up on my own here. And that's great. And I think that I love that, right? That's exciting for me. But like, when it comes to the, the the content suppression, like my YouTube account, I was growing it. it. Was and that's the thing is like things would be going so well, dude. That was what hurt. It was like it's not like this isn't working. It was yeah, yeah. things would be cruising, dude. Thousand Instagram followers a month, and it's like not that that it matter. It matters because it matters to my business. It doesn't matter for validation, right. Right. but like I do get to get better guests right. in the podcast, and you know how that shit goes. And I'd be seeing things on there that I'm like, how is this doing well? How is this getting recommended? But my stuff is a problem. You know, it's like, yeah. we bleep out all the cuss words. We do, you know, it's like, we do all these things. But like, <laughs> we, we try and play by the rules. But like, I can't ignore, you know, now I have to kind of, it's like in my own life and on the podcast, I'll talk about things. Won't make it to Instagram. That's what it is. The podcast for me is the place where I can be free. Right. And the Patreon. Right. right? It's like, I can be free here. I yeah. can answer whatever questions you want. I will not hold back on these things. I'll have uncomfortable conversations. I'll do these things. So I have that. What I did was kind of like created. That's where I have that. And that's where that mm. lives. People will know that's where that lives. And on this particular thing, I've got to play by different rules. And I'll let you know that I'm playing yeah. by different rules over here. Over here, you get something different, you know? And people like Tim Dillon's a good example. Like he doesn't put that stuff out there, but it's there if you go listen to the podcast. Yeah. Mm. That's so it's like... And, and that's, that's hard though. That's like you're, you're sitting there and you're like, it's that misalignment with authenticity for guys who are authentic. That's what fucking sucks. Cause it's, yeah. it is a violation for us, you know? Yeah. And, it sucks. I hate me, it. Dude, for me, even the same thing, like I, I wasn't, I tried to, you know, be like, this fucking sucks. Like, all right. I took my little pity party for a while. was like, this fucking sucks. Still put out my content, but took a little pity party. And I was like, okay, well, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to play the victim. Where can I go find? find new audiences or what other platforms can I utilize and leverage that aren't, you know, censoring. Right. And so that was what I, that was the solution I came up with, but it still fucking violates my own principles when I'm on like IG and shit, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's fucking exactly. Hard. And that's even why the, like the other day I invited you out here to come hunting and try to make some content and stuff. And it's like, I even leverage that more now where I'm like, okay, well this, this app isn't going to do it for me. So what we got to do is make yeah. better content. I get in your yeah. ecosystem and that's the things so we can create an ecosystem, right? of like people who are like-minded who want to do stuff together, make some stuff together and just essentially like we'll end up with the same audiences, but they'll grow. You know what I mean? It's like, people, oh, they're interested in your stuff. They might be interested in my stuff. You know, it's like, it, it works out that way. So then you get like a crew and you can, you can start to do that. It's like, well, let me just, let me control what I can control, you know, and do that. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, I've got to, I've got to violate my own, you know, desire here to, to do this, but Hey, like I've got to do what I've got to do. I've got to make the right decision. People have had to make that decision since the beginning of time, you know? So 
Yeah, yeah. We got to do what it is. I'm sure the people that were ruled by monarchies didn't like being ruled by monarchies, but hey. Some of them loved it. Like we saw in COVID, people loved being ruled. <laughs> like there's some people fucking love that shit. Yeah, but, <laughs> but generally, oh, you know, oh, I mean, man. people in Saudi Arabia seem to be doing all right, I guess. But um, <laughs> the ones that live in skyscrapers. But yeah, I don't, shit, man. I, don't, I mean, it's just, yeah, it sucks, but it's. You know, it's an unfortunate reality that we got to live in of our world. And I think the best thing, again, we could throw a pity party, which I very much have done. Sure. But I'm like, well, you know, if I have to set it, start all over again, I'll start all over again. It's not the first time. It's like I make sure I have all the old photos that I like on my Instagram. And then if it gets taken down, then I'll start a new one and I'll call some favors in and ask some people to share my stuff and try to get it back out there. Try and, you know, I have access to pretty great people so I can have great conversations and, Great good stuff, you know, just, and that's one thing yeah. that Mark Manson always enjoyed him. And, and, um, he said, he's like, the best way to grow your Instagram is to have, be in the top 2% of content. Like just be in the top 2%. Just be the, t- being in the top 2% of content mean <laughs> putting out, putting out the best shit, right? Oh, like putting okay. out good shit because most shit on there is not good. <laughs> so if you just that's put out ve- good that's shit, very true. you know, it's like being the top 2% of good. <laughs> you'll be all right okay that's interesting i love that and also i'm like well who's who's declaring good <laughs> who's 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 the almighty god of of good i think it's like resonates with people i think the people choose that but then again it's like that's become less and less when he that was probably four years ago when i read that so it's what has yeah. been deemed as appropriate and good has been shifted since then <laughs> yeah I'm going to throw a haymaker at you right now because this is a very, I was just at South by Southwest and this was something that really came up for me when I was going there. What kind of impact do you think AI and like chat GBT is going to have on the coaching space? Because you're going back to the coaching space, right? Uh That's something you're you're, you're transitioning back into. I'm in the coaching space. We both have a lot of mutual friends in the coaching space. Hmm. Um, Evergreen products are a way that coaches can get out of time for money, right? So you can offer something that's helpful, impactful, but yet you don't have to trade time for money. And I look at AI, things like ChatGBT, which are very accurate in taking concepts and then creating scripts on that, or even potentially creating courses. What kind of impact do you think this is going to play on on us as coaches moving forward as far as like what's out there being offered? So I haven't thought much about, I haven't even used ChatGPT yet, uh, but I have been using the AI art creator. I don't know if you saw that. I put some stuff up on Instagram the other day that I made. It's insane. So we're actually finding a way to infuse that into Soulfire. That's something I'm working on to do animated art. So like, say you have a tweet that's about something like that's a background of that would be, I mean, this would be great for like people like me and you, we're talking about stuff. It's like, we'll be, okay, here's what the tweet's about. Let's go put it in the prompt and create art around that. That's not, you don't have to go search Pinterest like we used to when I worked for on it, like do that whole thing. Like find Pinterest. <laughs> that, it's like, you can just say, okay, I want this. Right. Or if right. it's about psychedelics, you can do like a fractal, like animated piece. So we can, we can play with that or making podcast thumbnails and stuff like that. Like I've been thinking about more of the art side of things, mm-hmm. but I think the funny thing is whenever there's, whenever the amount, whenever it all kind of comes from chat GBT and it's all the same prompts, all the same text, I think that video, like real person video, like the authenticity will matter more. That's because mm-hmm. I've never been the like, like with my coaching and stuff, it's like, we're doing, this is how I've always been this way, whether it's fitness, life, whatever it was. It's like, I'm not doing the, like, I'm not upselling. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not doing the sales strategies. I'm like, here's what it is if that resonates with you. Let's fucking roll. I'm not, yeah. you know what I mean? We talked about this too. It's like, it's like, I'm not trying to get, I just, the money thing is like, it's part of it. Of course I need 
to survive, but it's like, it's not really what drives me. It's not like, I don't need, it's like, I don't have that. That's not what, like what I thrive in. So for me, I just think like, here's what we're doing. I'm learning, I'm growing. I want to help you. I want to do, I want to stay in that like space. I prefer video over, over, um, over photo. I I don't like the text generated stuff generally for me. So that's why I mean, chat GPT has not really interested me that much. But I think when it, I think what it will make everything more bland if that's the method people choose. And I think people will start to gravitate mm-hmm. more towards reality, right? Or they'll go the other way. I think there'll be a very a very hard split. And if they're writing yeah. website, if it's like helping you write website copy and stuff, I don't think it's gonna change that much. No, no, no. Yeah, I think it'll make yeah. it much more efficient, which means there'll be it'll the market will be flooded with more stuff. And it'll be, I think it'll also be pretty apparent when something comes from a language learning model versus comes from a human brain. Like I think people will start to enjoy typos. <laughs> you know what I mean, like little, <laughs> like little hiccups here and there because that won't be, you know, that'll, that'll be like the sign that something is real. Even though, man, mid journey version five, the art generator is like it's face. Like I'm about to start paying for the premium and start playing with there just for the, for the business. And like, they have little blemishes on the face and like texture. Mm-hmm. It's fucking crazy, dude. It's so wild. And I think, I mean, I'm I'm also nervous about the elections coming up and like how much deep fake stuff will be coming out because they're already on bro. Like mid journey seems like they're coming up with a new version every month. So like we'll probably be yeah. on version 10 by the end of the year. And it's the the advancements from like three to five are insane. So think about, you know, it's gonna exponentially yeah. get better. So there's a lot, I think there'll be a lot of changing. I think the art's gonna I think the art's kind of cool, but I also think then we'll gravitate more towards like somebody that came up with something with a brush and a cam. You know what I mean? I think that stuff will get more valuable. You know, it's uh, like, yeah, there's I, something I agree, about yeah. that. Like, think about whenever, like, yeah, think about like plastic trash that gets, you know, toys and stuff like that versus the shit you find on like antique roadshow. You know, like think about, mm-hmm. you could buy, you could, I could buy an alpaca uh, blanket from Amazon, right? Or when I'm in the sacred Valley of Peru next time, I can buy one next to the people who made it. Which one do you think yeah. I'll, I'll like more? You know what I mean? Like there's, like there's something about like, we do need reality, you know? And I think that's okay. going to be something that's real. I, I think that we'll gravitate towards that. And I think already in the coaching space was a bunch of noise and a bunch of nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's an 80, 20 rule, like 80% of people that are doing this work are silly. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, it, it, you know, and it, it is what it, that's any industry lawyers, barbers, you know, whatever you fill in, fill yeah. in the blank politicians. Um, so I think that the the cream will always rise to the top with that. And I think that people will gravitate towards like, okay, this person can actually connect with me. Because if you're if you're generating your shit through chat GPT, I just don't think it's going to feel... I believe so much in resonance and like resonating with people. I just don't think it's going to. But I could be wrong. You know? What do you think about it? Yeah. It's it's wild, dude. It's you're more optimistic than I am. I'm terrified. I guess we're we're pretty much you're like uh, Lex Friedman, and I'm like Joe Rogan right now. When it comes to AI, dude. Like I'm like, oh, it's gonna take over the world. We're all fucking dead. And you're like, no, no, no. It's gonna be good, man. We're all gonna live symbiotically, and like things are gonna be nice. Yeah. So like, I mean, I'm starting to fucking copy. I don't know, dude. Man. I'm, I'm, you know, if the world gets taken over by AR, AI, like I'm just I'm just disconnected from all of it. Like as long as elk are still it's, real, then I'm all right. <laughs> I, I do want to dive into some hunting stuff with you, but I'll, I'll give a quick perspective is like, with the AI thing, it's like, if you're a charismatic person, but you know, you've done fuck all research, you can plug in whatever to, um, AI, it'll script it out for you. You could create a course. You could give an evergreen pre-recorded uh, course. So you get the video interaction. And as long as you have, if, if you have charisma, you're able to deliver a chat GBT created course 
Um, and you just are the personality behind it. Now you're going to suffer as a coach. If you ever try to do in person, because yes. you, you won't have done the research and you won't have the deep breadth of knowledge to be like on the cusp of like someone asks a question, having a good response or being able to real time problem solve for people. But if you never did that and you were making decent money on evergreen products where you're just putting videos in Kajabi, I mean, you could, I mean, I could see that being a real, and then you're going to have a deterioration of the the coaching world, but I yeah. I do agree with you in some form that the the good coaches in some way will get separated from that and they'll rise up and they'll be able to probably potentially charge maybe even more for their services because of the fact that they are going to be more few and far between. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I think in that you know you're still going to be put even as a good coach in a position where you're going to have to do time for money, right? So like it's it becomes still that that play of time for money, which I don't, I think, (laughs) you know what I think is funny though, about the chat GPT thing that it's kind of like made me laugh. And we talked about this a little earlier, but like the blue collar, like my support of like blue collar workers, like I'm from a family of blue collar folks. Uh, My brother's an electrician. Uh, My dad painted airplanes and cars. Uh, My granddad worked in the oil industry. My mom's a nurse, but like with all of this, I'm like, all right, like this is all, all those people and so many blue collar workers have just been completely fucked. You know, I remember I got so heated because I realized that, and I remember the, the John Deere strike happened a couple of years ago. And I was talking about it, that they were paying their welders $15 an hour. And I'm like, dude, welders make six figures an hour. Like, what is this person doing? But because there was no, and then people are like, well, and then the libertarians be like, well, they don't like it that they can just move. I'm like, so they're going to leave their whole family. Their whole family's in this little bitty town of 10,000 people. You don't know what that reality is yeah. like. Like big city libertarians crack me up. I'm like, you don't know what this fucking world is like, dude. But then I remember seeing that and I'm like, those people have gotten so fucked. Like since since the Clinton administration, like NAFTA and the whole thing, like those people have just gotten so screwed. And now ChatGPT starts coming after white collar jobs, and they can it can draw up legal <laughs> it can draw up legal agreements, and it can do all kinds of bullshit that you've got people doing right now. And now it's a problem. So now you know what you know what ChatGPT no you know what ChatGPT is not going to fucking do. It's not going to come fix your goddamn toilet, right? It's not going to come that's do true. the electric. It's not going to frame your house, is it? Oh wow, huh? That's funny. So now guess who gets to be the fucking pop top of the world? Blue collar yeah. workers, baby. They're back. Blue collar is back. In back. I love it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, I hope it. these motherfuckers start charging exorbitant amounts of money. I hope it's like, oh yeah, really? Huh? You need your, you need your toilet fixed. Okay. That's going to be $14,000. <laughs> That's so true. I'm the, I'm the 1% now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, bro. I never thought of that. But man, because I come from a blue collar family too. It's, it, it, you know, my dad's a mechanic. I grew up working on cars. My uncle detailed, detailed airplanes. I grew up detailing airplanes. Like we were blue collar as it comes. And uh, it's it's funny because I've always been the same way. Like mechanics should be making freaking, you know, all kinds of money. They yeah. Most people couldn't do anything without their fucking car today, you know? No. And it's like, but they get paid shit, you know, compared to that. So yeah. to other stuff, but you're right. Yeah. Whenever the whole like free college stuff came up, like paid college, which I think is... The, the reform needs to, be, needs to happen. Like you should be able to get a college degree for like $8,000. And now it's whatever Jordan it is. Peterson's, uh, Jordan Peterson's working on that. Oh yeah. And I think that there's going to be yeah. some disruption in the market. And I think it's going to be beautiful. But what I, my thought was like, especially whenever the, like the Black Lives Matter stuff kind of went out of, out of hand and stuff like that, it got really crazy. I'm like, man, I, when I was in school, I did a welding class. I learned how to weld in high school. I never, cause I never had to weld um, outside. Like it, was, it wasn't part of my gig. You know, we had welders that would do like, Oil and gas welding is a different breed because it's it's dangerous. 
And but those guys, oh, yeah. oil, oil, oil and gas welders are the craziest motherfuckers we'll ever meet. Probably underwater welders are probably in there too, but they're just cut from a different cloth, dude. They're, they're psychos, wild. Dude. I mean, underwater you're, welders you're, are you're psychos. using electricity <laughs> and fire next to gas. <laughs> it's like, that's gotta be a different, it's a different thing. They're like, it's like, yeah, you think Alex Honnold's cool, like free soloing. Why don't you go weld a gas pipeline? Um, but it's like, uh, but then you get that and I'm like, the, to me, the best way for upward mobility, and I still believe this for especially these rundown communities, black, white, whatever, is trade school. Like go to a trade school, become an electrician, become a mechanic, become a welder. Like that's your best yeah. path, best path to getting making eighty, hundred thousand dollars a year and getting the fuck out of inner cities, man. Like it's just one of those things where I'm like, we should do, and this is one thing that pisses me off about conservatives, right? Like, we don't want like low-income housing in the suburbs. And I'm like, well, the best thing for those people is to get the fuck out of the inner city if they can. Right. And I think trade and yeah. so I, I had if somebody come to my welding class in high school and present us like, hey, here's the benefits of trade school. I probably would have considered that if I wasn't going to play football in college and I wasn't supposed to get a business degree. That was my granddad's plan for me was to get a business degree and then come back mm -hmm. and then work in oil and gas. I ended up going a different route doing fitness. Um, but uh, that was kind of my path. But like, there's a lot of guys that I know that went to trade schools and are master welders now or truck drivers. And those guys are making hella money, you know, because there's always mm -hmm. a need for that. And now we're seeing it more than ever that like, oh, the blue collar jobs will be the ones that last, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that people underestimate that. And I think that paying for, if you like paid, paid for trade schools is a way better investment of our time and money, given the fact that we have a crumbling infrastructure and just for social mobility, like upward mobility is the biggest thing that's lacking right now, in my opinion, especially for communities that are beat down. And I'm not making this a race thing, but like black communities are disproportionately kind of fucked. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think that, that going, like putting an initiative in place to present those, those kids with options that involve going to a trade yeah. school, having it paid for, you're there for a year, right? Um, could do a lot of good, you know? Do yeah. a lot of good. And maybe my dad, my dad was in prison for six years and when he was there when COVID happened and he was getting his HVAC and, uh, and I think he was doing a welding thing too, but he was doing school in, in, while he was in prison. And he was fucking pissed because COVID shut it all down right, right when he was about to finish these programs. And you mm. can't continue the program once you leave. And then Trump, oh. to his credit, which he never talked about because he was too busy tweeting law and order, like had some pretty great prison reforms that got nonviolent drug criminals out of prison. So my dad got out mm. like a year early and is still, he's, he's still on probation, but like, um, is it probation? Whatever it's called when you're out. And parole, uh, parole yeah. Um, so, but he was like, I was, he was at, I saw him when I was in Texas last time. He was like, yeah, I'm kind of pissed that I didn't stay in for another six months because I couldn't have all this <laughs> stuff done because he has a hard time. Because as a felon, you have a hard time getting a job. My dad's sure, a good yeah, dude. Yeah. He had a drug problem. You know, he was a, he was an addict. That's what it, you know, that's, that's, that's how it goes. Right. And yeah. uh, he's doing really great. And now he has, you know, his grandkids, my sister's kids. He's like, always oh, at their baseball games. He's, I'm so proud of him, dude. It's been my mom and him both. Like, I'm just so proud of like, that's, that's getting out of addiction like that, especially when it's like heroin and meth and shit. It's like, it's hard, dude. And I, I, I empathize yeah. with those people. And, and even, especially him, like he was, he had grown men, speaking of masculinity, grown men were like shooting him up when he was 15. You know what I mean? Like never had a chance. You know what I mean? You could be like, oh, addicts and do this. And that's like, the kid never had a chance. Didn't have a dad. You know what I mean? And like, so, yeah. and then you look, if you watch something and that's how I feel a lot of times about these, like the black community too. If you watch the wire, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen the wire. I saw a few episodes, but I didn't like catch the whole series. If, I heard it was really good. If you commit to the whole thing, it should have actually been like seven seasons. And I think it came out, it came out before we had that, before like the Sopranos gave us that attention span for long. Yeah, it was yeah. really, it's, it's a beautiful piece of work. 
if you get through the first two seasons, like the end of it pays, it's one of those things where the ending is just like, it's not a happy ending by any stretch of the imagination, but you get it. And I called it empathy training because it was something I'd never realized, like inner city violence, drug crime, like what's going on, the, the schools, the politicians, the cop, like it's so much going on there. And I realized like, even though my dad's not black, and that's why I always talk about, like when I talk about this, I'm like, I am principally against police overreach, you know, beating down these poor communities, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? I think that we should do something for all of these communities, but just because I lived it, you know, I'm like, they, like, I don't think my dad had a shot. I really don't. You know, when that's your reality, when you're 15 years old, you don't, I mean, you can say, oh, you make your own decisions, but it's like, do you at 15 when you don't have a, you know what I mean? Your family's not really there for you. And it's like, it's weird. So influential. Yeah. And it just makes you more empathetic to that reality. And I think that we could do a lot better as a society, like bringing, giving these people the opportunity to come up. Now, if you, you know, you want to stay on fentanyl and live on the street, like, okay. But like, did you really have that choice? Like there's a lot of people who had that choice and still choose that choice. Right. But a lot of people didn't. And so again, it's one of those things where I'm in the middle, like we got to do something here, but people need to have a path. I think we can provide as the richest country in the world. I think we can provide a path for people. And I think that's the right thing to do, which puts me on the center left. You know, it's like, it's that's, you see what I'm saying where it's like, but then it's like, it's like, yeah. Or, or, you know, I also said we could ship all the homeless people to Ukraine. (laughs) <laughs> that was good I remember when you put that up that was really funny <laughs> I, was like, I was like well we gave them all this money we gave them more money than it would cost to, to cause to, to solve homelessness so just, yeah. <laughs> they need people <laughs> yeah they need bodies right so like <laughs> there we go that might sober you up real fast you put yeah, like right? an AK-47 in their hand you're like you're in Ukraine now they're yeah. like what yeah, there's oh, no man. fentanyl here go ahead there's no fentanyl yeah and good luck finding any other drugs yeah <laughs> you get vodka that's it <laughs> exactly get potatoes and vodka oh yeah. but yeah man it's a trip oh my god yeah that's so good dude um what i wanted i wanted to ask another thing with you so again um a lot of i have my own mixed kind of perspectives about some of the the things that the men coaches are putting out there. And that goes around like, um, you know, a lot of them want to talk about protection and providing and other things that follow that line. And it's, I can contend this with, with different, um, different things from research in the past of like why those aren't necessarily cross threads for masculinity or underlying threads throughout time. But I personally believe them to be very important as a man. That's part of my pedigree, right? And you're a big hunter and it's one of those things that like you enjoy doing. What about it like connects you personally to yourself or to the man that you show up as for, you know, Kelly and Roe and for the people in your life? Well, I mean, there, there's a masculine piece to it for sure. And I guess the trend is masculine in the hunting world. Um, that being said, my daughter will be a better hunter than most men listening to this podcast by the time she's like, oh, 100%. So, 100%. <laughs> so, I believe this. I believe this. <laughs> and a better golfer too. So don't, don't come at me with that. But uh, no, I think, <laughs> so as I reformed the show and I was like, I, I remember as I was doing political homeless, I started drifting towards talking about principles. And for me, you know, the principles that I view the world through are curiosity, resilience, and passion. Right. So I, this, is, and this is kind of a roundabout way of answering this, which is I'm a podcaster. So I like to talk a lot. Um, curiosity yeah, yeah. to me is like a lot of that openness to experience piece, right? Like trying new things, being open to new ideas, like challenging yourself, like all that kind of nested in that curiosity. And these are, to me, principles are kind of the foundation. And then you kind of have the manifestations of principles, right? 
resilience on my end personally is, you know, physical, mental, spiritual, um, and it, I guess like worldly resilience. And that's providing fits in that very well, right? Like if the food, mm-hmm. if food, if there's no grocery store, I'm not that concerned, right? Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Now we're, we're learning to, to grow food this year. That's going to be a new thing for us, but that also fits into that principle as well. So for me, you know, I grew up hunting, but I was also really bad at it. You know, Joe Rogan mm-hmm. says things like, if you hunt over a feeder, it's basically like going to the grocery store. Well, I'll tell you, man, whenever, <laughs> uh, whenever I hunted over a feeder as a kid in Texas, uh, I would go a whole year without seeing a deer, right? Like it doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but I stuck with that shit. Like, and I, there's years where I didn't get a chance to do it. I actually sold all my guns when I was broke at a handful of guns at an AR wow. and a 700 wind, or a, a, a um, Remington 700, seven millimeter wind mag. I got rid of that. I just I didn't need them, but I was only, I was bow hunting at the time. And I had a client who let me hunt on this little piece of property that had deer on it. And I killed a few does and I started learning how to process things on the ground. And I knew I wanted to elk hunt and hunt in the West. So I would, I wouldn't even hang my deer up to, to clean them. I would do it on the ground. Cause I, I knew I'd have to do an elk that way. Right? <laughs> it was already, I was already mm-hmm. thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. And I've wanted to hunt elk since I was a kid, but like so much of it comes back to like resilience, right? Like, do I have one, am I emotionally outsourcing the harvesting of my food to someone else. Cause someone has to kill that cow that land, whatever yeah. it is that you're eating. Someone kills it. So someone's handling that emotional burden. Is that you? Mm-hmm. Right? Like I still eat beef. No, I mean, we have some here. My wife still likes to eat beef. I would prefer not to, I can eat elk every day. I mean, I killed an elk and a mule deer this year and we're already through almost all of it. You know, I'm going to wow. cook a lot of people and share it. And the buddy that was with me when I killed my elk, I gave him like 20 pounds of elk and deer, you know, which is customary in the, tradition yeah. <laughs> as is tradition. Um, <laughs> so for me, a lot of that like fits into that, re- that resilience piece, right? I'm also very passionate about it. So it kind of checks both boxes. Um, yeah. And I think you need something in your life that you're passionate about. So in that resilience and passion is passion principle, like I do my best to show up for elk hunting and deer hunting and hunting in any way, but primarily those big game hunts. That's really what I'm most passionate about. I want to show up to those prepared and ready. Right. Mm. I'm also very passionate about golf. Right. One thing I've had to confront mm. is I'm not that passionate about fitness anymore. Right. Mm. But oh. fitness is necessary for one resilience and two pursuing my passions. So it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of this, like it it's an intermediary, right. Where you talk to somebody, I have a, yeah. a buddy who was, um, who was shooting with Cam Haynes, right. Big bow hunter. And he says yeah. that he hunts private land mostly now, which do what you want to do. I don't, I mean, I, I make fun of him for it because I feel like people, he's the, one of the best elk hunters in the world. I'm like, I mean, he hunts private ranches exclusively almost. So it's like in, in high point units, like trophy units. So it's like, yes. And he kills a lot of elk, but it's like, so would I in those scenarios. That's not saying like, I'm not one of those, Oh, it must be nice guys because I don't really have an interest in that. Right. And do what you want. Like those guys all want to go hunt you know, 30,000 acre private ranches that those elk don't see that many people and aren't really habituated to people. I go places where there's people fucking everywhere and I still got to find elk. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like a different thing and you got to be better, yeah. you know, you got, and, and he cut his teeth doing that in the nineties, but that's not now, you know what I'm saying? So I look at that and I'm like, yeah. but he, he says he doesn't want to spend that much time in the woods because he misses running. So to me, mm-hmm. Cam Haynes is an ultra marathoner who also elk hunts. He's the best ultra marathoner <laughs> at elk hunting. You see what I'm saying? Got so it's it. like you, you, yeah, yeah. you stack it up. Whereas like, to me, my fitness is necessary for resilience in my own life, the ability to stay resilient and to pursue my passions where five years ago, fitness was my passion. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, it's as those things change, but the principles never change. 
right? right? So it's like curiosity, resilience, and passion. So with elk hunting, it's like elk hunting is this different experience because one, you have these humongous animals screaming in the woods. And the first time I heard a bugle, dude, I knew I was in the right place. And I, should, I could have shot an elk. That was the fourth day ever elk hunting. And really this third day, because the other day I'd been hiking out the whole time. And I'd called in elk the first time I ever called. Like I was, I was, it was something that just like, I have the instincts for it. Like it's in me somewhere. Some, some in my DNA is there. Right. Yeah. I fucking love it. And I got this bull into 60 yards and I blew it. And as you know, just being a rookie and being by myself and solo hunting elk is really hard. Um, next year had another couple opportunities. Didn't, didn't pull it, didn't make it happen. The third year on the third day of the season, put the bull down and it was, mm. I'll tell you, man, I made that shot. I heard it hit. I saw him bleeding. I saw him turn. I saw him lay down. And I was sobbing. Absolutely. Mm. Like, and I've killed deer, white-tailed deer in Texas a handful of times. I'm very excited about it. I've never had that emotional of experience hunting. Like wow. that elk was 16 yards away from me. Everything worked out. I was with a good buddy who put in a lot of work. And... Went down. He was still alive when I got down there and I tried to, you know, kill an animal as fast as I can. He was kicking. He was, he was on his way down uh, and to put another arrow in the other lung and he was dead almost immediately, you know, went down there, butchered him up. And it was just like, I mean, we have video of the whole thing. We have, he's putting out the video on YouTube for this company called, uh, this brand called Wilderland, Wilderland Pursuit is their brand. And we're kind of working with that. That's what we were talking about with you coming down and hunting with us. We'll make content around that Yeah, yeah. Inter- to introduce people to that. And it's something I'm actually really passionate about with the, with what I'm doing now is like, I wanted to broaden it because I love introducing people to that, that want to try and provide for themselves to build their own resilience. Right. Cause if something happens, not that I'm a prepper or anything, but if something happens, can you go out and harvest a deer? And even if you're not very good at butchering it, can you figure it out? Right. Can you, have you done it at least one time? It's like, okay, this is kind of how things go because it takes four or five times to kind of get it down and get to the point where it's like, okay, well, I hang my deer up in the shed for a few days, let it dry out and get in there and butcher it. It's like, there's something about it that just like, it's, I don't think it's, there's anything else, especially with bow hunting where I feel more human. And I believe I, as a human animal, we are designed to eat meat, right? Now, if you don't want to, yeah. that's on you. You have the freedom. I'm a pro freedom guy. That means freedom, freedom to be vegan, right? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But there's this, there's these moments in life where you're like, wow, like I'm a, I'm a human, I'm a predator. You know, in a certain way, I'm a predator species. And I see that when I look at, you know, big cats, which I have like a very, I've had a lot of psychedelic experiences around big cats. Like I have a connection with them. When I look at bears, when I look at these predator mammals, not so much predator reptiles, but predator mammals seem to have a higher level of consciousness, right? Mm. Mountain lions, jaguars, tigers, lions. Like you look at these big cat species, bears, grizzly bears, polar bears, like they have community. Right. They have, they almost like have an emotion. They're ruthless. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But they're surviving. And to me, like, I think that there's, I want to participate in that game in the same mm-hmm. way that if a grizzly bear decides to kill me in Montana. Right. I'm not mad at the grizzly bear. I'll be bummed yeah. that I'm dead. I played, I played the game. <laughs> I'll be bummed. But I'm playing the game. I'm, I'm choosing to participate in that reality. I'll do everything yeah, I can yeah. to win, but you don't win against a grizzly bear very often. You know what I mean? That's why yeah. we have, uh, six hour P320, 10 millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, there's something about that. And even, and then part of that to me is like, I don't really have this strong desire to hunt predator animals. 
but I am going on a bear hunt this year. Black bears are a little different, but I do want to kill a mountain lion and I do want to kill a grizzly bear. And mm. part of that is like, I need to feel the emotion of what that's like yeah, as, wow. as an experience in my own life. I am going to be very comfortable killing elk. Like I, I we did it one, once you do the, once you break the seal, okay, yeah. I kind of get it now. Now there's gonna be more challenges, but I know I can find elk now, put in a really hard work for three years and I'm out there now. I'm like, I'm with the group of guys that I'm in. I'm now, since I'm the one that shot the elk last year, I'm now the third shooter. So I have to kill two uh, more elk before I get to get my elk unless I get it by myself, which is, I, but I'm equally excited about that. You know? So there's like this, this yeah. brotherhood in it now. Cause I used to help solo hunt cause I didn't have friends out here. I moved to Colorado and the COVID happened. So I didn't have guy friends. I was just doing oh, shit wow. by myself. It's so much more fun with, with, with the crew. And then you're rooting for each other, dude. Like my buddy, Justin, who was with me, I killed my elk. He was crying. (laughs) We were just like, it was, and now we're like, we're we're like bonded in that moment. You know, it's crazy. And it just all happened so fast. And it wasn't the biggest elk in the world. It's a, you know, decent sized five by five. You know, it's not, it's on the wall in the house. Like you saw it. It's, you know, decent elk, you know, I'll, I'll kill bigger elk. But that elk will always have a special, a special spot for me. You know what I mean? It's like that yeah. one. And it's like, even I'm going to be sad. Like the day that I kill a bigger elk and take that one off the wall and put it somewhere else and put the bigger elk up there and be like, ah, like, it'll probably be in my office right behind me. Right where that little, that, that's the first <laughs> buck I ever shot with a bow right there behind me. It's like these little, bit, oh, little wow. bigger, you know, it's like, but those memories stay with you, man. And I can't like, like I was even posted day. Like I'll probably like, I have my, you know, my dog and we bird hunt together a lot. He's a bird dog and we duck hunt. And I'm like, the day that Rose shoots a bird over him for the first time, I'll probably get really emotional, you know? Cause it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. when I had this like camaraderie with this little, this dog that like we spend so much time together and then my daughter. And it's like, I mean, I even saw a guy the other day. I was, I mean, I almost started, I dogs get to me. Cause it's just like something about men and dogs too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But like yeah. this guy was taking his son out for his first duck hunt and it was his dog's last duck hunt. The dog was 12 year old. Oh, lab. Usually you retire wow. him cause they get, get arthritis and it's, yeah. you know, and it was, it was like, wow, that's like such a cool thing where like the generations kind of like overlap for just one like brief moment, you yeah. know, and it's that kid's first duck and it's that dog's last duck. Like, fuck, mm. dude. It's just, it just, I don't know. It's just, it's beautiful. And you get to see the sunrise and just be out in it. And it's like, you know, we're on our phones too much because that's where all of our maps are and stuff. But yeah. you have those times where it's just like, you're sitting out there and especially when you're camping in the back country, it's like, I've been in spots where I just, you're just in awe of it. And it's like, uh, not a not a spot. You go to Rocky Mountain National Park and it's beautiful, but like I'm just up here. You know, I just found this spot. Yeah. I look over and I'm like, damn, there's a that's beautiful. <laughs> you know, the sun's yeah. going down. You're like, Phew. you know, and then you know, maybe almost yeah. die a couple of times, which if it had to happen, you know, it's like <laughs> it's weird. But then you get that, you hear that elk bugle, and it's like, dude, mm. it's yeah. And hopefully, hopefully you get to experience that with us and come up here and get into it. Oh, I'm totally doing it for sure. You're getting, like, you're getting a bow, right? List. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get a bow. I, I would love to do that. I mean, I'll bring a three. Uh, I'll I'll bring like a 308 out as well. We can do that maybe another time or something yeah. too. But I'm gonna do. I definitely want to do bow. And that's one of the things that's you know I've done hunting. Oh, well, I say I've done hunting. I've done nature watching while carrying a weapon, <laughs> <laughs> essentially. Um, and I've helped a friend process a deer. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's like one of those things that I want to do as well to be able to like, again, protection and providing like, or being able to provide is, is paramount to me as a man. It's not necessarily, uh, every guy's version of masculinity, which is fine. But for me, that is something that I want to do. Plus the fact that I actually would, like you said, I'd love to be able from, from killing to processing, be the one in control of that whole mm. thing and to have that connection too with the meat and everything else. Right. So 
like that's all for me. Like I kind of see a lot of myself in you and the way you explain hunting. So that's really cool. But it's special. It's special in the sense of like you are connecting, bonding with another animal on this planet through mm-hmm. that experience of life and death. And it, it is providing for you and your family. And that's there's a lot of respect there for that, right? And yeah. so a lot of the older, a lot of indigenous tribes, right? Worldwide, not just here in the United States, but like worldwide, a lot of indigenous tribes have that same connection and reverence for the animals and the plants that they utilize to sustain life, right? Yeah. And I think that's very beautiful. When you see that so often, and that's, you know, like there is that reverence is a great word for it, you know? And one thing when you're out there that you'll realize is different from like, I would say like deer hunting in Texas is great and it's fun, like especially bow hunting and stuff like whitetail. And that's the most hunted big game animal on the planet uh, or in the country anyways. Um, but one thing that's different about elk and species like that is that you're in touch with everything. Like when we killed my bull, for example, and I'll give you a brief rundown. We had a game camera up, seizing a little bit of technology and had a big six by six in there. Huge. Ended up getting shot later on. We knew the guy, we knew a guy who knew a guy who shot him. I saw a picture of it. It hurts me inside to see that photo of that dead bull. But um, his, his, his sons are out there running around. So we'll, we'll, uh-huh. we're going to be in the same area. But we, had, we knew when the elk were coming through. But for example, we'll get to the top of the saddle, which is a saddle is where you have like two high points in a mountain and they kind of come down. So you can see like a saddle in a mountain. So that's where elk went across. They cross in the low area. And I'd been in that area before and actually put a, I'd been on an elk in there last year, or the year before, excuse me, so two years ago. And, um, and it turned out it was actually that big bull because he had a very identifiable bugle. We couldn't get on him, couldn't get on him. And I was like, you know, we went and tried the first place this opening day this last year and it wasn't working out. wasn't anything there. So we went and I was like, let's just go check that game camera. We post, look at the photos and we're like, oh, the elk are just cruising through here. There's tons of elk in here. And it's some spot you would just not think they were at. But we get up there that night. We had that big bull was bugling. We couldn't get him in. So, all right, we go back. We pack out. We didn't want to blow him out of there. We come back in. And just for an example, in the morning, like this is how many things we have to consider. The way that bull is shaped out the sun doesn't get in there super early. So we can't even move down the hill until the sun comes up. The reason is when the air is cool, it pulls all the, all the wind down. So regardless of where your wind's going, you'll have thermals. Cold air goes down, right? So if the air is cool on the ground, it pushes your scent down. So these elk are very protected in this bowl because anything, mountain lion, bears, anything that a predator of them, humans, they can smell them from a long ways off. They're really good at that. So we have to wait for the sun to crest over this mountain hit the side, warm the side up, and then move down the bowl as oh, the wow. sun's coming up to not let our scent drag down. So we're moving down, moving down, moving down, stop, looking around, looking around. Like this is about the time that they come through about 8 a.m. And then all of a sudden, we hear like crack, crack. You know, we're like, oh, I don't know, because we're in a little bit of a wet area. But one thing that trips you out out there is that squirrels will throw nuts from the top of trees or little pieces <laughs> of nuts. And it sounds like an elk. They fool you all the time. We were actually, we were, we had a bull, uh, the second day of the season, we had a squirrel throwing stuff off the top of the tree, sounding like an elk, calling at it, called in an elk from the other side and scared it off because <laughs> we thought that oh, this elk, the squirrel was an elk. That's I mean, but it had, it's like a cotton running joke is like, is that an elk or a squirrel? Like it's a thing, you know? So when that, we have to think about cover, we got to think about thermals, we got to think about wind direction, we got to think about vision, like where we can, what can they see us? Where are they going to come from? We don't know. Then all of a sudden we yeah. see a flash of gold and we're like, oh shit, they're here. And that happened like that. And then there's two bulls right in front of us. And I have to move wow. down this hill in plain sight of them because it's a burned area. We get down there and those two bulls see me and run up the hill. But they didn't really know what I was. So I was kind of in the brush. And then I throw out a couple of cow calls trying to get them to come back. And we had two other young bulls, a spike and a two by two, which the two by two was legal barely, but 
if he came close, he was going to get shot. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then the bull starts coming up to me, right? Yeah. There's a tree in front of me, a burn tree in front of me, and he's standing 15, uh, about 30 yards in front of me. All I can see are his antlers and his body, but I'd seen him moving through the trees. So I go to full draw, right? So now I'm squatting on this mountain because I was not in an ideal position. I have to swivel my hips to a 90-90 position on the, in the dirt, right? At mm-hmm. full draw. Because I knew if oh. I can't, if he can't, if I, can't, I knew that it, where he was moving, he could see me move. But when his head was behind that log, that, tr- that burned tree that was still standing up, he couldn't see me. All I could see, I could see his antlers, but I couldn't see his eyes. And I knew he couldn't uh, see me there. So yeah. I draw and I'm like, please go to your left or to my left. Please go to the left. Goes to my right through the, through the brush. But I had thrown those cow calls and they know exactly where you are. So he knew exactly uh, where I was from 200 yards off from two cow uh, calls. Just mew, mew, you know. And then he stops with his shoulder in a one foot by one foot hole in this brush. Mm-hmm. And I'd been at full draw for 90 seconds, almost two minutes probably, and just sent one. And then you hear that, you hear my release go off and then just schwack. And you know that sound of like that hit a bone. I was like, okay. And I saw him run down and then he turns and I see him bleeding everywhere. I'm like, holy shit, we did it, dude. And I'm just like, like you have to, cons- so in that, and in a lot of things, like we had a clear day that day. But if you have big puffy clouds, that means the wind's going to be swirling. You get to keep all this shit in your mind while your heart's going 300 beats a minute and you're trying to kill a horse with trees growing out of its face. Like it's the, (laughs) it's the, with a, with a stick and a bow. You know what I mean? It's like the craziest thing ever. It's like all, and so you are, there is, you're so present in that experience that there is nothing else. And when you see the animal go down, it's like, especially going down in plain sight, because otherwise, if it runs off in the tree, you got to go blood trail it and stuff like that. And there's a lot of variables. We saw him die. It's like, wow, dude. Like, and it's, I mean, there's just nothing, there's nothing like it. And I said, it checks a lot of boxes as far as passion and resilience, but like the presence of that experience, like having, and, and things will happen outside of your control. It'll blow it all. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you got to start over again. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, yeah. the, it's, it's. There's something, it's, that's the beauty of it. You know, people don't get that because you also have this flurry of emotions of sadness for taking a life. I mean, you're taking a life, you know, it's a living yeah, conscious yeah. being. You're taking a life and also life eats life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, but you're also excited and it's fun. And it's, it's like all these, like, it's so rare to have all <laughs> those emotions at one time. And they're all, yeah, the same, and it's, 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 oh man, it's, just, oh, it's overwhelming. And like, the thing about it is that first one, like the first, the first meat my daughter will eat will be elk, like that elk. I've got mm-hmm. some saved for, her. you know, it's like, nah, you know, that. it's like, it's just, it's just, so it's, there's so many little, like that elk has created so many memories for me and it's wild. Yeah. So it's, it's just something about that. And that's something, um, you know, my buddy, Justin, who was there, we've talked about doing something called backcountry rookies and taking out groups of people for high success hunts. So doe hunts, cow hunts, antelope yeah. hunts, just to get them introduced. Cause like you, you you want to go kill an elk that's 15,000, 10 to $15,000, right? If you want to go do a guided elk hunt, but if we want to go do a doe hunt, like everybody can get those tags, you know what I mean? And we can all go and have a great time and split it up between three or four guys. Like that could be really fun, you know? So it's like something like that experience is really just deep in my passion for it. And I want to share that with people. Mm, that's beautiful, man. There's a lot there too. I think there's a lot packed in that story that guys can take from it to realize like, how powerful something an action like hunting can be for your life, whether, whether or not like it's high on your list to be a, you know, quote unquote hunter or whatever, but to experience that connection with other animals on this, on this planet 
is like that's a very special thing man i think that was yeah. a really cool story around that to kind of exemplify what that looks like um and the bag of emotions that comes along with it like that's something we don't think about dude it's just like yeah we no. so dis- disassociated from it but dude this yeah, has been it's, such it's, a beautiful yeah. conversation brother i love you i love this this is awesome i want to talk a little bit about your transition now to to connor wanders and the mission that you're moving into in your coaching space and kind of how you've how now we've we've kind of alluded to it the whole episode but like how you're kind of evolving into this new version of connor where you know you're getting away from the politically homeless stuff you're starting to build in more things that bring joy and happiness to your life and allow you to thrive as a father and also as a husband talk about what you're uh, moving into brother yeah, man. So Connor Wander is going to be a, a shift from politically homeless. The structure will remain the same, but I will be doing more interviews, which I'm going to have you on the show, hopefully in person. But really the, 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 the core kind of foundation of the show, again, is, is an understanding of principles and operating from a principled place. So the kind of this catch phrase is like, understand your principles, find your principles and let them live through you. And with that, I think that you're creating a, you know, we're creating a, a, an area where the friction is productive, right? We're consciously instilling that in our lives where it's necessary. We're discussing the things culturally that need to be discussed and ignoring the shit that doesn't pertain to us at all. And yeah. in working one-on-one with folks, you know, I'm just getting, I'm going to be taking two clients a month. So nothing crazy. I'm not, this is, this is, you know, I'm very specific as to who I want to work with and how I want to work with them. And then moving into that, you know, I'm excited to have these conversations. I'm excited to do more solo shows, breaking into some of this stuff, something that comes up that's really impactful that I think we can take something out of. And if we can leverage the craziness of the world, right? We have a crazy fucking world right now. <laughs> if we can leverage that for ourselves, and that's, to me, that's the best you can do, right? Like we talked about that. Like, what can yeah. you do? It's like, what can you learn about yourself through the fuckery that we live in? <laughs> <It's> like, that's, <laughs> I love that. that's, that's the best way to that. use your, use your time and energy. And I think, you know, I've uniquely positioned myself to, to do that. And I've done that in my own life and it, as hard as it may have been. Um, so I'm really stoked on, on being able to see where that takes me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to to put myself in a position where I can call bullshit where bullshit needs to be called. And, and I am the fun thing is I used to, I feel like I used to have to like dance around things just to not ruffle feathers, but now I just have zero fucks to give because I don't really need yeah. anybody else's. You're always like, Oh, I don't want to burn that bridge. I don't want to do it. It's like, well, I'm going to, so <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> I think that there's something in that, as we talked about, like the lack of authenticity and how ChatGPT might make more of that. It's like, it's real, you know, if, if nothing else, it gives yeah. you something to think about and it's real. And one big fight that we're going to be fighting with the show, and this is what I realized, like, I'm not going to take on big tech. There's no point in that. There's, it's a losing battle. Uh, I'm not going to be the yeah. president of the United States. I'm not going to reform the government. What I can do and what I'm principally stand against is dogma and dogmatic overreach. And that may mean radical lefty mm-hmm. dogma. That might mean religious dogma of some sort or kind, whether it's, Muslim or Christian or whatever, or atheist even. Yeah. <laughs> like it's dogma in its forms, I feel like is toxic. And the way that it is leveraged to manipulate people is something that I cannot fucking stand for. And I think that mm. if we work through that, we work through that lens. And then again, through the, the, the principles of curiosity, yeah. uh, resilience, and passion, and however those manifest for you, it may be completely worlds away from the way that I do it or worlds away from the way that you do it. But if we operate from principles without dogma, we're going to have a better life. I mean, it's hard to, ha- it's hard to not have a better life if you're living that way, in my opinion. So if you resonate with that, come check us out over at uh, Connor Wanders and uh, get it going. 
I love that, bro. I think that's a, it's going to be a great place for you. And I think it's going to lend to a lot healthier uh, psychological perspective <laughs> for yourself to, so. to enjoy life, to enjoy life again a lot more. But um, yeah, also let's uh, let everybody know. So big shout out to Soulfire. They produce this podcast, fucking amazing company. I love everybody over there. Just beautiful team. That being said, they'll link all this stuff in the show notes. So let everybody yeah. know where to find you, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. You go to uh, connorwanders.com is where you can find me. Connor Wanders on Instagram. Everything's the same. C-O-N-N-E-R-W-A-N-D-E-R-S. So it's Connor with an O and Wanders with an A. Not Con yeah, or Wanders. Connor uh, Wanders. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, we'll link all this in the show notes. We'll have everything in there for you guys. If you guys want to go check out that stuff and click it and you don't remember what he said, just go make sure you guys check out the show notes. Bro. You're a special human being. I love you, man. I love Kelly. I love Ro. Can't wait to see you guys again. Your last thing before uh, I release you and then we'll have to schedule another one because this is just, it's a lot of fun <laughs> having you on here. I looked up and I was like, holy shit, we've almost been on for two hours at this point. Brush so it's in. really awesome. What does the art of masculinity mean to you? Hit, man. I didn't know I was going to hit with this question. That's a great one. Um, the only it's the only question I carry on the show, bro. Everything know, else dude. is unscripted. <laughs> <laughs> no, to me, I mean, I think the art of masculinity is is crafting your life in a way that is going to leave you in constant pursuit, like of being a better father, a better dad, a better husband, um, a better man in any way. It doesn't matter if you're fucking twenty one or eighty one. Like if you're if you're taking an active role in your own fucking life. And doing something to move you forward and like always in pursuit of something. You know, that may be being, being a better granddad <laughs> rather being a better retired guy. I don't give a shit. But it's like, whatever that is, however that manifests for you, like let it live through you, motherfucker. Let's go. Uh, I love that, bro. Thank you for sharing that, man. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, that's going to be it. Everybody uh, that's listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys. 